All right, well, today is, uh, we are wrapping up a series. It's been a journey we've been on uh, called Bring Your Own Bible. So uh, I ask you each week, but let me see it, who brought their own Bible today? Come on, wave it at me like this. Yeah, awesome, that's great. If you, if you did not bring a Bible or if uh, that's okay, grab one out of the seat near you. And uh, if you do not own a Bible, then I want you to take that Bible in the seat that's near you. I want you to write your name in it. I want you to take it home so that the Word of God will be written on your heart. That is yours to keep if you need a Bible, a gift to you from New Life Church. And uh, so if you, are, if you brought your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to the book of James. Uh, if you're in the Bible from this seat in, uh, around you, you can turn to page 825. And, uh, and then just put a finger there. We're, we'll get there in a second. So we have been on this journey, bringing our own Bibles to church and uh, studying it. We have been taking opportunities to uh, read longer portions of Scripture than maybe we usually would on Sunday. And, uh, and so let's, since today is the last part of this series, this is part six, guys, six weeks, um, let's go ahead and look back at where we've been on this journey and then I'll, then I'll show you how we're going to finish it up. So over the course of the last several weeks, we started off with week one. We talked about the reliability of the Bible. You remember this? Come on, wave at me if you remember. All right. The, we talked about the reliability of the Bible. How do we know that the Bible we have today is what the authors had written all those years ago? And we talked through uh, a number of historical and archaeological evidences to the reliability of Scripture. And we actually used a formula that scholars used to determine the reliability of ancient manuscripts because the words we have on these pages printed in our Bible come from manuscripts from ancient times. And we kind of use how the scholarly world would determine if manuscripts are reliable. And we applied that to how to the manuscripts of our Bible. And what we found is that that the Bible doesn't just pass the test, it crushes it, like with extra credit. Uh, many reliable sources out in the world today, there are 10 copies of, of original manuscripts. Some there's even as little as two. But from those documents, those documents have information that fill our world history books and schools and universities. But the, in the, of the Bible, we have over not just 10 and not two, there's over 25,000 manuscripts of the Bible. And the more manuscripts there are, the more that you can basically tell the whole story. It'd be like uh, if all of you were witnesses to something silly I did today, uh, that, that somehow if all of you gave a, te- gave a testimony, there could be an accurate description of the story of how I fell down the steps or something like that, right? Well, 25,000 copies uh, gives us great uh, confirmation to know that the Bible is a reliable source. And then in week two, we asked the question, why study the Bible? Why is that important? Well, we know it's essential for growth. It's essential for spiritual growth. It's essential to be spiritually effective. In week three, we talked about progressive revelation. This was, I hope that that, that week helped you deal with that file box you have of scriptures that are maybe in your too hard to deal with box and to understand the, the whole story of Scripture and how things were taking place. What we said was, uh, the thing I wanted you to remember is that the Bible is not a static record of what God is. 
Well, like that was God, that is a static, it is unchanging. But the Bible is a progressive revelation of what man thought God was at the time that was such a quantum leap forward for society at the time that was ultimately leading to the ultimate revelation in the risen Christ. In other words, when we look at stuff in the Old Testament and we say, I just don't, that just sounds harsh, or that just doesn't sound like, like the God that I, I know, you just have to remember that God was not done redeeming the world until the risen Christ and a new covenant was set forth. And many things that we see in Scripture, although it leaves us maybe scratching our head, like, wow, we treat, they treated women that way? It was actually a, a, a leap forward for women's rights. It was a leap forward in civil rights that God wasn't done redeeming yet. And so, uh, so that was week three. And week four, we talked about the Bible in context. Uh, we talked about how sometimes it's easy to take even somebody out of context, Right? You can take one part of a speech, you can take one thing that your boss said, and you can use it out of context and create a whole other narrative. This happens to the Bible all the time. And so even, even, there are even believers that are, are like uh, teaching or believing on a verse, and it's like, eh, it doesn't mean that. Like, you've got to read it in context. So we talked about literary context. We talked about historical context. Uh, we, we, we learned that whatever you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to what? Look to see what it's there for. In other words, you need to back up. You need to read it in context. And this helps with uh, what we talked about last week, was, which was interpretation. And so we, we talked about some interpretation things that we can utilize when approaching the Scriptures. So that's the last five weeks. And of, of course, uh, all of the notes and all of the messages are archived online on our website. If you ever want to go back, if you missed one, you can do that. But today I want to wrap it all up in a pretty little bow for you, okay? And today we're going to talk about application. Application. You see, many Christians, many Christians are like a bad photograph. They are overexposed and underdeveloped. They have been exposed to the light of God's word sometimes all their life since they were a child for years and years. They've sat in rows in churches and they've heard the word. They have been overexposed yet underdeveloped. In other words, it did not land into action and real transformation in their life. So yet a difference has not been made. But the problem is not with Scripture, is it? No, the problem is not Scripture. We know that Scripture can transform us. Spiritual growth, then, is a commitment to something that we, by nature, resist. It is about a commitment to change. And there lies the problem, that the human heart resists nothing stronger than it resists change. And, all, and really, people will almost do just about anything to avoid change. But here's the thing, the Bible wasn't written to just satisfy your own curiosity. It was written to transform 
your life. The goal of Bible study is not to do something with the Bible. It's to allow the Bible to do something to you. And so uh, for years, many people say this, but for years uh, I've tried to get this point across to, to believers, and that is belief equals behavior. I should see how you behave and know what you believe. Because true belief will transform your behaviors. <laughs> In other words, it is, it is Scripture applied application. An application is probably one of the most important things about Scripture. Because you can interpret it, you can understand it, you can read it, you can know, you can know, the, uh, you can know doctrine and theology and live like hell. And people do this. I've been guilty of this. I think you, at times, have been guilty of this. There's nothing more important than applying what God says to our lives. And if I can think of any situation where it's like, if they can apply it in their lives, then I should have no problem applying it in my life it's in Titus chapter 2. The verse will be on the screen. You can keep your finger in James. In Titus 2, it says, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show them they can be fully trusted. So that in every way, they, can, they will make the teachings about God our Savior attractive. And if they can do it, I should be able to do it too. Now, one, one, one thing to note. Is Paul condoning slavery in this scripture? No, he is not, okay? But there was a reality in that day that just like today you are in debt to creditors, people could end up in debt to others and end up becoming a slave, even if it was for a certain amount of time, to that person. But it was a real thing. And Paul is saying, even then, even then, if you claim this faith in Jesus, then in every way you should make your life attractive to the teachings of God, even if they don't. Even if your boss doesn't return the kindness to you, you should be kind because of your faith in Jesus. And your life, your life should be attractive to even unbelievers. You've heard me say before, but how likely is it that a lost person is going to pick up a Bible and read it or look at your life and want it? So the first thing I want you to know is that attractive truth is always applied truth. Not just that you know the truth, they see the truth by what you do. They see the truth in your character. 
in your morals. You know, there's this saying it's that says, preach the gospel at all times. And when necessary, use words. <laughs> I would also say that we, we do have to know how to defend our faith. We do know. But it still stands to reason that attractive truth is applied truth. And herein lies the problem. That, that believers that claim faith in Jesus, their lives are watched and people don't want what we have. They say, I don't want any part of that. And, and, and far be it from us. And, and obviously, I'm not saying that we must be perfect in every way. But when a believer does mess up, they should be able to go to somebody and, and say, will you forgive me? my friend. May there be nothing but peace between us. Like, it means admitting our faults. It means asking for forgiveness, but always being committed to change. To change. Attractive truth is applied truth. Remember the verse, it says, so that in every way we may make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. One translation says that, that we may adorn the teachings. That would be like, uh, like to, to, uh, to put on a set of clothes to adorn the teachings of God. In other words, biblical truth is the wardrobe of the soul. It's more exclusive than anything you can buy from Nordstrom, Dolce & Gabbana, did I say that right? I'm not that fancy. It's more exclusive than any store. It, it, it is always in style. It always thoroughly coordinates. Y'all know coordination. I had to get taught this, how to coordinate things. I remember one of the, one of the first sermons I preached I was, a, I was 14 or something like that and got up there on a Sunday night in front of my church. I preached this message from Acts 7 of Stephen. I remember it. I had three points. Preach, pray, die. <laughs> I, still, I still might be true. I don't know. But, but I remember I, 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 got, I got a tie on. You know, we used to wear ties. Thank you, Jesus. Been Been delivered. I had black pants, black pants, you know, the crease down the middle, and I had a brown belt and brown shoes. And my mom saw me up there and she said, what is he wearing? She told me, You're, you can't wear brown belt and shoes with black pants. I didn't know this, Myra. If I admit it, I'm wearing a brown belt right now. <laughs> I had to learn coordination. But listen, biblical truth is always in style. It always coordinates, and it's exclusive. Can't be found anywhere else. I guess that's the thing sometimes with people that are real into their style. They don't want to be wearing anything that anybody else can wear. So they want it to be exclusive. 
Well, like, there is a club, there is a store, there is a style that is exclusive. It's the best. It can only be found one place. It's biblical truth. And it's a wardrobe of the soul. It's always in style. You know, many people can say that they have been through the Bible multiple times in their life. The real question is, how many times has the Bible been through you? Because here's the danger of Bible study. And, and, and this, is, this is the danger for, uh, mostly for people that have been in the faith for a really long time. The danger is that Bible study can degenerate into a process that is more intellectually fascinating but becomes spiritually frustrating. Here's what I mean. Look, look, look at this. In other words, next slide, you can get mentally excited by truth and yet fail to be morally changed by it. And so, so sometimes, especially those that have been in the faith a long time, they're like, like pastor, take me somewhere deep. Teach me something I've never heard before. Like, like, like really, really make it interesting. And that's good. That's fine. I, I hope that we disciple, we follow Jesus enough that we go deeper places in him and deeper into the word. But listen, let's not just get excited about it. Let's be changed by it. And that's the biggest difference. You see, we have the word of God. And the word of God will transform a person. And then in, the, in church, it's like this. We, have, we should have a group of transformed people. And then transformed people can transform the world. But it all starts with the transformative power of the word of God that transforms a single person, and that's your personal responsibility, it's my personal responsibility, and that we are a community of people that are transformed and that we are helping transform the world. So you can get mentally excited about this, but I pray that you are morally changed by it. Now, if you, if you, now, if you're, if you still got a finger in James, let's open the scripture to James chapter one and go to verse 22. And uh, if you are in one of our discipleship tracks called T2, you should know this first verse because you memorized it. So James 1 22. I need to take a pause and make a commercial break. I didn't say this before I started. Um, but this week, if you are in T1 or T2, we will not meet this week. So be prepared next week to take two of your quizzes. So I'll send out an email. But T1 and 2, we will not meet this week. All right. James 1, verse 22. Here we go. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. <laughs> Come on, help me out with this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Help me say it. Do what it says. I want you to do this like, like your team's going to go to the final four. All right? Do not merely listen to, word, to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I feel like that's what James is saying. 
Like if this was an email, this would be in all caps. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that brings freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. Application. Applying these things to our lives. So the second thing is a look into the mirror. I would think that before all of us came to church today, we did at least take one look into the mirror. My wife has this mirror that she uses that when I look into it is quite scary. It's got a light on it, and it like is like zoomed in on your face. Have you seen these things? I mean, I see it. I'm like, that's a terrifying image. Um, but like, but we all, we all, I'm assuming, looked into the mirror at some point today. One verse before that, if you're in your Bible, you can look at James 1.21. It's not on the screen. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Get rid of the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now, this word accept is an interesting choice of words by James. The original word basically means to put out a welcome mat. To put out a welcome mat. So the question then begs, do you welcome truth into your life? And that should be our approach to Scripture. Do you welcome it into your life? Do you invite it into the door and do you let it do its work on you? So we put out the welcome at A look into the mirror. Uh, imagine with me for a second. Imagine with me a guy that gets ready for work in the morning. He looks into the mirror and he says, I need to wash my face. And he looks in the mirror and he says, I, I need to shave. I need to comb my hair. And after noticing all of this, he walks off. He moves along. Now imagine this man walks into the office that day, and boss man comes by. He says, hey, what's up with you? He says, what? He says, you out of razors? And the guy says, actually, I just bought some brand new ones. And the boss says, well, you better do something with those. Or you might be unemployed. This is the situation that James is describing. That every time you study the word of God, every time you hear the word of God preached, but are not changed by it, it's as if you look in the mirror and see that you're a mess and you walk away and do nothing. You can know it. You know you need shaving, and I've got the razors, but I just don't apply it. So here's what I would say, is that the Word of God does not bear fruit when it's understood. It bears fruit 
when it is applied. And many believers, they long for understanding, and I hope you do, but I want you to long for application because it will transform your life. And then we're a transformed people that transform the world. The word of God doesn't bear fruit when you understand it, but it will bear fruit when it is applied. The Bible has a lot to say about application. And we're going to look at some verses here next. So if you turn to James chapter 2 now, if you have a Bible from the seat near you, it's going to be in page 826. We're going to look at some verses here that um, some would maybe try to say that James is almost saying that salvation comes by works. So I want you to hear me. We are not saved by works. Remember the scripture says, we're not saved by works that anyone can boast. We are saved by grace through faith. So if you put your faith in Jesus, you're saved. But now here's what I will say. We are not saved by works, no. But we are, we do work from our salvation. So in other words, the day you get saved was not the finish line. It was the starting line. And it begins a work in you to transform your life where belief begins to look like behavior. Scripture has a lot to say about faith and has a lot to say about what we do. And complete faith is faith and action when they come together. Let's look at what James says now in chapter 2, verse 14. Are you with me? You got it? Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, bye-bye, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Did you hear that? In the same way, faith without action, is dead. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Or some versions say, I'll show you my faith by what I do. 19, you believe that there is one God. Congratulations, good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. They fear. So you believe there's one God? Congratulations. That is the minimum requirement to be a demon. So congratulations. Verse 20. You foolish person. 
do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Okay, fine. And now James is going to look at Scripture. Remember, Scripture helps interpret Scripture. He looks at Scripture. He goes back to talk about Abraham. Verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Which God stopped. You see that his, his, that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. So this is what I'm saying. That faith and action, when brought together, make complete faith. Faith and action. Verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says... Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? This is speaking of a story in the book of Joshua where the spies went into the land and they stayed in the house of a prostitute and, and when, the, when the town heard that there was Israelites there, spies there, they, they, they went there and they said, we heard there's spies here. She said, oh, they were, but now they're not. But she hid them. And then she gave them rescue, sent them one direction and told those searching for these Israelites, they went that way, go that way, you know. <laughs> and then Rahab, in return, they rescued her life, this, this woman that was considered a prostitute. In other words, in their society of that world, she was, she was nothing. But they rescued her. And did you know that Rahab, because of this, she is in the line, the family line of Jesus. So James brings this up. Was she not considered righteous by, her, by what she did, her actions? Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, which that, that's when we die, the spirit leaves the body, so faith without deeds is dead. So this is the third thing, I, third thing I want you to know. It's about action over profession. We profess our faith and we are saved. Yes and amen. But man, when you profess faith, you say, Man, I'm following Jesus. We celebrate that with you, and all of heaven celebrates when even one person comes to know the Lord. But it's not the finish line. It has only begun, and action is required. So here's what I would say. To know and not do is to not know at all. You hear me, church? To know and not do is to not know at all. Imagine with me, parents, maybe you've made this call out to your kids before. Uh, kids, kids, did you make your bed? Did you make your bed? And your kids call out, by faith I did. Hey, hey, you take out the trash? By faith. Trash can's full. But I got faith. 
Did you unload the dishwasher? You know I did. By faith I did. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Church talk. But it's full. You see how crazy this is? When the Lord says to us, son, daughter, did you forgive them? Did you forgive them? I believe in forgiveness. Hallelujah. No, 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 no. Did you do it? Son or daughter? Were you generous? Were you kind? Will you clothe me? Will you feed me? Well, when would I ever clothe you or feed you, Lord? When you do it to the least of these. So drop your greed, drop your arrogance, and do it. Oh, Lord, you know I believe. That's great. Action over profession. Deeds over creeds. To know and not do is to not know at all. And what do you know that God's been asking you to do? What do you know that God's been asking you to do? Is there a relationship you need to reconcile with? What is he asking you to do? What step of faith? You know why we call it a step of faith? Because it's belief here and it's action here. It's faith and action. It's complete faith. So not by faith. I did, as the kids would say, maybe. But by faith I will. And I do. So when we read scripture, interpretation is important. Application is everything. Because without application, it's to know and not do. Let me give you eight questions to ask when reading the scriptures. I'm going to give you these real quick. These are eight questions that I think can help you with application. These are really important. And, and again, um, if, if, all these notes are online. If, if, you, if you get them on your Bible app or on our website, you can do that. But let's look at these eight questions. Uh, eight questions. Question number one, when we're reading scripture, is there an example to follow? For instance, the example of Jesus or the example of Paul. Ask the question, is there an example here in what I'm reading that I need to follow in my life? Question number two, is there a sin I see here that I need to avoid? Question three, is there a promise I can claim? Scripture's full of promises that we can claim and believe for in our lives. Number four, is there a prayer to repeat? This is great. Many, many times when I don't know what to pray, I just pray scripture. I pray the word. Number five, is there a command to obey? And specifically, when you read the scripture, you might bump into something to go, ooh, ah, I'm not doing that well. So is there a command I need to obey? Uh, number six, is there a condition to meet? Is there something in my life that I need to readjust? Here's the great thing about the Word of God. I was talking about this with someone before church this morning. It's so liberating. Because in a world today full of fake and full of frauds, people don't believe anything. People don't believe what they read on the Internet. People don't believe the news. It's liberating to go to Scripture and say, I know I can align myself to that. That's freeing. 
So is there a condition to meet? Number seven, is there a verse to memorize? Remember Jesus, when he's in the wilderness, he encountered Satan himself. The devil tried to tempt Jesus. And every response Jesus had to the devil's temptation was, it is written. And he quoted the scripture. Sometimes you gotta, you got to have it right here so you can recall it. And number eight, is there a challenge to face? So let me ask you, will you put out the welcome mat and invite truth in? Deeds over creeds, action and faith, finding complete faith, not just in what we say, not in church attendance, but in application of the word in our lives. If you do that, it will transform your life. Married people that put scripture in the center of the relationship, they will thrive. Parenting with, with, with scripture in mind, kids will thrive. The word of God transforms people. Communities of transformed people will help transform the world. Come on, I'm excited about this. Are you? Are you? Will you all stand to your feet? We're gonna sing one last song here in a second. And in a way, it is our proclamation to God that we are putting out the welcome mat. We're gonna put out the welcome mat and say God will welcome truth into our lives. And although this is the final part of this series, may this be for some of you the, the starting point of applying these things in our lives. Not just being mentally excited by truth, but being morally changed by it. And we're gonna put out the welcome mat and we're gonna say God, we're making room for you in, in, in us. We're making room. So you come in, rearrange the furniture if you want. Get rid of the moral, therefore get rid of all moral filth. Make room for you. Sometimes that action literally means that there are things that we have to cut out of our lives to make more room for the Lord. There might be old habits. There might be things that, that, that as we read scripture we say, hmm, and cut it out and make more room for the Lord. So would you bow your heads and pray with me, and then we're going we're gonna to sing. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in each of us. And this morning, we put out the welcome mat. We welcome truth into our lives. Lord, we look into the mirror, not to forget what we look like, but to see the mess that we've become and commit to change. I pray that even this morning, God, that you would show us specific areas in our life that you are asking us to do something differently. And that we wouldn't just know it, but we would do it. Because to know and not do is to not know at all. So we make room for you in our lives today. Jesus name. Hey New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word connect to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us and we hope to see you guys next time.